brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hey, Mel, Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty. Daddy! Hey, Mikey, if you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget just as soon as. Right. Mikey, popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart, Brian. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hey everybody, welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts. This is episode 78, I believe, is what we're at here. Yeah, 78. And this is a special episode because we get to welcome back my co-host, my co-captain in crime, Greg. It is great to be back. I'm just sad that I've had to miss so much time. I know real life happens and work happens, but I can still I can still miss it. You know, I, I mean, I think my feelings would be hurt if you didn't miss it at all, but, you know, I'm glad to have you back. <laughs> oh, it's great to be back, and, you know, I've been listening to this show while I've been out, and it's, you know, it's something I love. It's a hobby I really enjoy, so, but it's also a reminder for our listeners out there that sometimes you have to take care of, uh, take care of yourselves and your employment. That's, that's understood. Yeah, you know, jobs, the, the, the paying jobs have to come first a lot of the times. You know, we do this for fun. We do this because we love Trek. And, uh, you know, you can't, you can't not pay the bills. So, I get it. Yeah, and but with all this new Star Trek stuff and with, uh, you know, with changes that's going on for me personally, getting able to record more, it's time to start talking Trek again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very excited about that. And, um... I guess we'll just do a quick review of what our schedule plans are so people have an idea of what we're doing. Um, so a while back, and this 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 is a little bit ago, um, I started a little series while Greg was away called Prepping for Picard, where I took my list of my top 20 quintessential Picard episodes that I thought a person should watch or rewatch to kind of prepare for the Picard show coming up in January. And we didn't get very far on that. We did um, two episodes. We did Encounter at Farpoint and Conspiracy, both season one episodes. Well, we now have a release date for Picard. It's a little bit sooner than I had anticipated, actually. So 
we have a slightly different plan. Um, in addition to recording, Ray and I will record reviews of the Short Treks episodes. We already did the first two episodes from Season 2, Q&A, and The Trouble with Edward. Um, so you can go listen to those. But we're going to do those. And then Greg and I, and then Ray may join us uh, for some of these, are going to continue prepping for Picard in a slightly different format. So today, we will be reviewing the only Season 2 episode that made my list, which is Measure of a Man. Or The Measure of a Man, really. And um, then after that, we are going to do all of season three, which is going to include uh, three episodes, Yesterday's Enterprise, Captain's Holiday, and Sarek. Now, for those people who know the season might be asking about the best of both worlds, we're going to pull that two-parter into season four. So we're going to do one episode per season. So season three will have three episodes. Season four will actually end up with... um, four episodes if you count the two-part best of both worlds um and so that's gonna take us into you know we're into november we're gonna do the short trek ask not um and uh basically start where we're gonna split season five and six into two-part episodes there um and that's kind of how we'll we'll keep going and we'll finish up with season seven uh the first week of january which gives us a week to uh review the short treks children of mars and then do kind of a final thoughts prepping ready for Picard before episode one. So uh, yeah, that is what our plan is going to be. We are actually going to take next week off. Um, This is kind of a week for us to reset, get back on track. And then we'll be back the following week um, on 11, five, November 5th for our season three of prepping for Picard. So I know that was a lot of, of mumble jumbo, but uh, you can go out to our website or look in the show notes for my list of the top 20 Picard episodes. So you can kind of watch ahead. Um, And in case you're curious or you might remember, we actually talked a little bit about the measure of a man way, way back um, on episode 35 when we were doing mech buzz. Um, And so we, um, we did, it was a, the best Riker episodes and uh, we had the Icarus factor, which I believe that was Jeremy's pick. And then I picked measure of a man. Do you remember that at all, Greg? I do remember some very interesting discussions on the best of Riker, but it was a good, it was a good discussion. Yeah. So it's kind of funny that now basically uh, almost about twice as many episodes later, we're uh, coming back to it from Picard's angle. So Oh yeah, no, it's, but it's, it's a good discussion and it's fun to reference and even, and even your comment on the the good discussion on our schedule. I mean, schedules for podcasts are important. There's a lot of podcasts you and I follow and, you know, if they go dark and we don't hear from the creators, we get a little anxious wondering when they're going to come back. So I think given our, given our fans out there, the schedule is important. Well, thanks. Well, that's, I, I went through all that stuff and, um, you know, you can, Reach out to us at Red Shirts Pod on Twitter if you have any questions about it. But uh, yeah, I guess um, before we kick things off with the measure of a man, is there anything in the Trek world, Greg, that you've wanted to talk about, but since you were you were busy, you couldn't? Is there anything on your mind? Well, for any of the Trek gamers out there that like Star Trek uh, strategy games, they just released a massive patch for Star Trek New Horizons, which is a mod for a game called Stellaris. And they Ooh. radically added a whole bunch of you know, like information and material for the for the Terran universe. They added they upgraded the mod, they updated to a whole bunch of new patches that the base game has come out with. 
and it's still arguably like you flip through most magazines that talk about strategy games it's it's like the greatest star trek strategy game ever made and it's not even made by like a company it's just you know <laughs> 10 people <laughs> but the quality content is amazing and it's it's tough but you know it's fun you know you get the they have i think 83 or it's either 83 or like 90 it's like 93 or 83 of like confirmed like races from star trek universe that are in the game and they have animated portraits a lot of them have their own ship designs it's for a bunch of just you know college young adults in a basement making a mod they did a damn good job making a star trek game man that's really cool so okay so i've never played stellaris is this like an official thing or is this just like a fan mod it is entirely a fan modification okay well, that's cool. I'm glad that they've been able to do this then. Um, so like, so you say it's a strategy game. Do you mean like, is it an RTS? Is it a turn-based? What What are we looking at? It's more of, think like grand strategy on a, galact- on a galactic stage. It's live. So it's not turn-based, so it's real time. Uh, the Star Trek New Horizons game starts you off, I think, in 2150. So before the Federation, you're not the Federation yet. You're just United Earth. Or it's like 21, yeah. excuse me, 2156, because you start off as United Earth, and the, the only other race you know of is the Vulcans at the time, and it's all about expanding into the galaxy, and you get, you, you know, you immediately meet the Andorians, and you meet the Tellarites, and uh, like all of the stuff that, from Star Trek lore, they have actually included in the game, and they've included things such as, you know... Uh, the Zindi incident and all the probe stuff and the Delphic expanse. And, you know, they've, they've gone out of their way. They are Star Trek fans that are simultaneously amazing computer engineers. Well, that's awesome. Um, fan productions can be really cool. I mean, it, it, it takes a, a lot of passion on top of, of course, the ability to develop a video game. <laughs> to, well, and to it's, do that. Even the main, even the main company that made Stellaris has like commented on them, but they still have to comment carefully because mm. a bunch of guys or a bunch of men and women making a mod is one thing, but if the company starts commenting on it, they got to worry about all that copyright stuff. So the the companies, you know, made the comments like, "Oh, look, check out this great fan production," blah blah blah, but they leave it very generic because they don't want to. You know, nobody wants to risk the CBS wrath. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and we know that that's definitely been big, especially recently. So I'm not not too surprised. Not too surprised at all. But that's really the only Star Trek stuff I've been wanting to talk about. I mean, the, the new Discovery trailer's out. The new Picard trailer's out, obviously. I think they both look good. Uh, compliments to Michael Burnham's hairstylist, A Thousand Years in the Future. They are They are doing damn good for being, you know isolated uh it's it's <laughs> yeah, i always pick up on, really cool i always pick up on funny stuff like that like even like even picard in the new trailer who literally looks like a week older than when he left next generation <laughs> it's like somehow <laughs> it's like somehow he looks he looks younger than when they aged him for all good things um so patrick stewart yeah. <laughs> whatever you're doing it's working you know I, I was thinking about that actually um really Riker is the only one, well, uh, Jonathan Frakes, who really looks like what they aged them up to be in All Good Things. Everybody else doesn't look that old in real time. Yeah, Marina Sirtis looked, I mean, she's she's always been beautiful, but she still maintains that that Troy allure that she always had. And she knocks mm-hmm. it out of the park. And Riker, you know, I always love watching my friends on Facebook talk. They're like, Riker, 
Riker's even hotter because he's a dad now. <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is you are a weird bunch of fans, but I love you anyways. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, well, yeah. So I mean, the only new thing for me in the Trek world is I've been doing a rewatch of DS Nine, and um, I got to season four. And I had just forgotten like how amazingly good that premiere is, that two-part premiere, uh, The Way of the Warrior, I think is what it's called. And, um, you know, we get Martok and Galeron and Worf shows up and um, Cisco gets his the haircut that he always wanted. Um, and so, like, I loved it so much that I made Ray watch it with me the following day because, like, you have to just see this episode. And after it was over, she's like, yeah, okay, we're watching the rest of this together. And so um, DS9 well, is obviously, I, it's my favorite Trek show because I actually started a rewatch after seeing you talk about it. Mm. Uh, but yeah, The Way of the Warrior, holy cow, that is some of the best Trek television since Best of Both Worlds. Yeah, I mean, they pull out a lot of stops. It must have been an expensive episode to make when you think about all the extras they had to have, especially in Klingon garb and all the ships. And I mean, it, yeah, it's a it's a cool, cool story. And um, I never get tired of hearing Cisco explain, well, I've got 5,000 photon torpedoes. For some reason, that line <laughs> is just like, like, I just try to, <laughs> I try to interpret that in real life. Like if there's enemy A attacking us and, you know, Admiral Derek's like, well, I got 5,000 missiles ready to fire at you. It's like, holy cow. Like, even think, like, that's okay. I quit. <laughs> it's a lot. It is a lot. They really beef up DS9 for season four. Um, and then and then to continue things, the episode after that is The Visitor, which um, is the episode a lot of people have been sharing the photo around of Nog as a captain in the future. And... Um, you know, so that I got to watch that that episode is a powerful one too. So I mean, season four just starts off so strong. Um, so yeah, totally tied into it now. Well, the episode I'm on is Duet, which is one of the greatest mm -hmm. Star Trek episodes of all series of all time. With mm -hmm. you know the Cardassian mm -hmm. and the Cardassian relationship with Major Kira, it's mm -hmm. you know. So if any Trek fans out there haven't watched DS9, you have to watch the series. Just stop listening to us right now. Watch it. But keep listening to us when you're driving to work. <laughs> right, right. Um, nah, it's, yeah, DS9 is wonderful. Um, so, okay, so the only the last thing I'm going to say before we move on to The Measure of a Man officially is if you are looking to talk with us or some other Trek fans in a positive community, I actually decided to start my own Facebook Star Trek group. Um, it's called the red shirt. It's called red shirts and runabouts forum to kind of wrap it around the show, but it's really just a positive star Trek community. We're pretty small right now, but please consider joining and talking with us. Um, it's just facebook.com slash groups slash red shirts and runabouts. Um, or, you know, I'll, I'll be sharing the link on our Twitter and things like that, but come talk to us out there if you would like. Okay, so Greg, let's do this. The measure of a man, Picard kind of focused. Where would you like to start? Uh, I just want to open up with the. I would argue that measure of a man is, to me personally, maybe one of the top five Star Trek episodes ever made, because of the topics it talks about, the acting, the engagement, the importance, uh, how much it builds. It simultaneously builds. Picard, Riker, and Data's characters 
into so much more than they were when this episode started that you can see in this episode what the next you know what the next five seasons are going to be you see it in measure of a man I think that's fair. You know, we there's a lot of lists out there of you know people's top five episodes of TNG specifically and things like that. And you know, usually you end up with uh, Inner Light, Darmok, uh, the uh, the best of both worlds. Those usually end up in the in the top five for everybody. But I feel like the Measure of a Man is overlooked because of how serious it is. Because um, the other episodes have some sense of fun to them, right? There's there's excitement, there's adventure. But The Measure of a Man is arguably the most serious episode of TNG. Um, yeah, it's, it's, the most, it's one of the most serious. And even think about something as basic as the set design was simple. Because they're in, what, like five different rooms in the whole episode? And that's it? It's not much. Yeah, I mean, you're right. They had to build that little conference room that they have the, the hearing in. Um, and that's basically the only new piece. There's, I guess, the, the lounge on the Starbase but um, yeah, I mean, this episode is kind of the the quintessential boardroom Star Trek episode, right? There's no uh, battles, there's no aliens, there's no uh, action of really any kind. There's really just analysis of what it means to be alive, what does it mean to be sentient, what does it mean to be property, which is a key word that we'll talk about. And I think you're right. I think this is absolutely one of TNG's best episodes. And um, I have a hard time ranking, so I don't know if it would be number one. But it's probably the most important episode as far as real-life consequences. Well, and that's something you and I have talked about, and Jeremy and I and you and Ray have talked about, is so much of Star Trek, all the series, have been commenting on social, uh, social strata across the world. And this is something that you know, you go on Google or you go on Twitter and Boston Dynamics every year is making a more advanced robot than the year before to the mm-hmm. point where they can jump and they can twirl and they can do all this stuff. It's getting to the point where, you know, I don't think we're anywhere near true AI, but something is happening in this world when it comes to technology and robotics. And so, you know, the whole premise of measure of a man you know, a Starfleet officer wanting to disassemble another officer to try to build more of them. Think of how horrifying it would be if it was reversed. If it was, well, Lieutenant Derek Mayer turns out to have a certain gene that makes him able to withstand heat better. So Derek, we want to take your DNA and start cloning it and putting it in other humans. Like everybody would be horrified by that concept. The idea of genetic engineering is horrifying in Star Trek because of the eugenics wars. But the idea of taking data and just disassembling them and making copies, like certain members of Starfleet think that's a great idea. Yeah, um, it's it's such a powerful message. I think there's one scene, there's one conversation that I think sums up the entire thing. And it's on purpose, but it's still a very powerful moment. Um, It's the conversation between Guinan and Picard on 10 and 10 forward where she she basically gets picard you know to walk to the point of realizing that the conversation is really about slavery right it's not really about what what data is or what more datas would be that's not even what the conversation is about 
right? Because, you know, she says, you know, that they're talking about whole generations of disposable people. Um, and his final reaction to that, and I just, I'm just going to read it real quick because it's, it's probably the mo- the most important line that he says in the, in the episode, which is, um, and so he says, you're talking about slavery and she responds with, I think that's a little harsh. So he says, I don't think that's a little harsh. I think that's the truth, but that's a truth that we have obscured behind a comfortable, easy euphemism property, but that's not the issue at all. Is it right? And so that's, it's about the whole episode is about creating essentially a slave labor force of androids and is it okay to do that because they're not alive like you and I are alive, right? Voyager touches on this much later, of course, uh, with the Dr. EMH, but um, that's, that's where this concept comes from of what, what does it mean to be sentient and alive and at, at what point does that become slavery? Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. And I, I always try to caution myself about real world politics in Star Trek, but Star Trek touches on so much of it. And, you know, we just had a a week and a half ago or two weeks ago or, no, excuse me, last week, a very controversial federal holiday in Columbus Day. And the reason that that rings true with me is I just re- recently rewatched Measure of a Man and the slavery aspect. You know, a historical figure, Bartolomo de las Casas, gets a lot of credit for, you know, pounding on Columbus and all the stuff Columbus did, et cetera, et cetera. But De La Casas was one of the first creators of the triangle trade in the Atlantic. So he he didn't like Columbus, but he helped create the whole African slave trade network. And mm-hmm. you can see that in what Picard is talking about. Because that quote you just said of, you know, you're talking about slavery. And, you know, Guinan pushes back. And he, he, he pushes back on purpose to see how, how far Picard's going to go. And Picard's absolutely, he's like, no, you, this is definitely about slavery. Disposable people. It's a real world aspect of our history we've had to deal with, and they're still dealing with it in Star Trek. And I think for those who either haven't seen the Picard trailer yet or maybe missed it, I think this conversation in particular and this episode in particular rings through that time frame because we see a shot of what appears to be androids with numbers barcoded onto their foreheads that certainly looks a hell of a lot like exactly what Picard and Guinan were trying to avoid in this episode. A entire workforce of android slaves. And I love the Star and, Trek community because I love how all of us are calling them like, oh, those look like those look like Maddox type androids. <laughs> from Bruce Maddox from Measure of a Man. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I, that's not an accident. You know, obviously we haven't seen this the show quite yet, but I don't think that's an accident. I think that it's very much a tie-in to this episode in particular because of how significant it is to who Picard is as a character. Um, the way we see him act in Star Trek Insurrection about the Baku is, an ex- is a straight extension of what he is saying here. And... If anything, over time, he takes this type of thing even more seriously and more to heart and will lay his career and life down on, on the line to avoid these types of things from happening. Um, yeah, and it also, again, just we've already seen it in season one and two, of course, but it reconfirms how far he is willing to go to defend his crew, which is something that you and I have talked about in other episodes 
as generic humans from the Midwest, we look to powerful leaders in our environment to protect us and support us. And that's something that just gets reinforced in this episode again, that Picard doesn't, you know, he doesn't just use big words and big ideas to impress people. He means everything he says. He does. Um, and, you know, of course, it doesn't hurt that you're giving these lines to, you know, Patrick Stewart, who is a renowned stage actor, Shakespearean actor, and can really bring power to those lines. But, um, you know, this episode is a showcase for who he is. The entire episode is him trying to find a, his way through the situation. Because when we start off with this episode, Picard doesn't see you. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Much of a problem with the situation you know he obviously wishes maddox was more competent and data was more confident but he's basically telling data just to do it and you know it's a bummer but it's part of your duty and that's where we begin in this episode and then we end it with this concept being just truly ethically and morally wrong and i like being able to see that progression of picard throughout this episode well, and that's something, again, we've talked about on the show that I think Discovery has somewhat struggled with as character growth. And again, it's only two seasons, so we don't have a full sense of judgment yet. But even in one episode, you saw growth. You even saw growth in Bruce Maddox through, even though the whole episode, and spoilers if you haven't seen Measure of a Man, is Picard, right. Picard's able to prove that Data has the right to choose, essentially. And Bruce Maddox tells him, he's like, I'm going to delay the transfer or I'm going to stop the transfer request. I'm blah, blah, blah. And Data looks at him and says, you know, uh, continue your work. And when things are ready, you know, I might be able to help you out. And you can see Bruce Maddox even grows in the episode where in the beginning of the episode, he didn't care what Data thought at all, at all. And after the trial, maybe he's a good Starfleet officer following orders but the moment Data tells him to continue his work, you can see changes in Bruce Maddox's facial expression, the way he's holding his body. And that's even a change in Data as well. Data's like, this could be good for us. Continue what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I think in that exact scene that you're talking about, one of the biggest um, signs of Maddox's change is the way he refers to Data. Because when Data leaves, you know, he says that he, I, th I think the line is, he truly is remarkable. And, um, you know, that's when the Admiral, um, she, she straight up says, or I guess, well, she's not an Admiral. She's, she's the, the JAG officer. She's still a captain, but, um, uh, she says you didn't call him it because the entire episode Maddox always refers to data as an it. And in this context, that was always meant to be derogatory. It was absolutely right. meant to. If you or I referred to like another human being as it, uh, it's it's basically over for me professionally. If I were to do that, <laughs> I mean, just saying mm -hmm. it. No, no, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, 
if I see a dog, I might ask the owner of the dog, you know, what's its name? Because I don't know if it's a male or a female dog, right? But this was done purposefully because Maddox didn't see Data as an equal life form, right? And that's where things are, that's, that's the that's the whole crux of the episode is that Maddox saw himself as superior, as a superior life form being that deserved living rights that data didn't right and by the end of the episode um maddox is forced to to at least consider the possibility that he was wrong and again it goes back to something picard does it's the height of the argument it's the height it's like basically the climax of the episode where they're in closing statements and or not closing statements but he's cross-examining maddox picard is cross-examining maddox and He's asking Maddox, what is data, right? Because there's these three criteria for sentience that Maddox lays out for us in the episode. And Picard has been able to prove that data fits at least two of those three. With the third one being consciousness, right? That you have to be conscious. You have to have a consciousness. But what even is that? How do you define what that is? How do you know that I have that? How do you know that you have that? How do any of us know that any of us have that, right? We just believe that we do because we do as a group. So Picard basically lays out and he says, you know, so you see he's met two of your three criteria for sentience. So what if he meets the third consciousness and even the smallest degree? What is he then? I don't know. Do you? And that was the point that you can't prove that you have the thing that you claim data doesn't have yeah i mean it's that aside from the whole episode that scene is just so it's so powerful because of the ramifications it has on what human history is like when whether it was discussing the rights of african americans or native persons or or refugees or women's right to choose i mean that that whole line is it's just so powerful and the other reason I say it's so powerful is that that little portion of the story has been replicated in multiple other medias, other shows, movies, video games have taken it. Uh, there, you know, there's a I've been replaying a game called Mass Effect, and there's a 10 second scene in the game where a robot species rebelled against a, an organic species, and the rebellion started because one of the machines looked at its creator and said, "Does this unit have a soul?" and I'm like that's that's from Star Trek. I'm like that's literally that's the that that phrase is from this episode when the JAG officer says, you know, we're we're all dancing around the same discussion of does this unit does Data have a soul? And she's like, I don't know, I don't know if I have a soul. And mm-hmm. it's just so powerful because because like you and I have been talking about the impact on just regular human society and human history and it lays the groundwork for so many more discussions that happen in Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, I I think that that sums it up really well. Um, It's about asking those hard questions. It's about, you know, using allegory sometimes more on the nose than other times to make us look at ourselves, right? You go way back to, um, you know, the, the, the TOS episode, uh, 
Of course, I'm drawing a blank on the name of it now, but it's you know the one with with the species where they're black on one side and white on the other side, and then the other part of the species is flipped. Oh yeah, now they let this be your last battlefield. Thank you. Let this be your last battlefield. And um, I, my head kept going turnabout intruder, and I'm like, well, that's wrong. <laughs> Although that sounds like an amazing episode. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, that obviously was an allegory for racism, maybe a little bit more on the nose. Um, and in this case, this is this is a, a similar concept, right? This is about having rights as a living being and about slavery and what it means to be property. Um, and, you know, it's it's even a, a, it's even kind of a meta conversation on what Star Trek's mission is, right? Because. The opening sequence to the show is to seek out new life and new civilizations. And Picard's got that line in the episode where he says, Starfleet was founded to seek out new life. Well, there it sits. Right. Um, And so that, in a way, was Star Trek looking at itself and saying, this is what we're about. Yeah. I mean, I can't even there's nothing I can add to your statement that makes it any better because you're you're damn right. It's it's the tagline of the show to seek out <laughs> new civilizations. That's that's what Star Trek is. Since the beginning, you know, that was the original uh, thing, too. And so um, and Picard being the one to deliver those lines shows you who he is, what he represents. And in the Picard trailer, we see him going to Starfleet headquarters as a visitor, because he's retired now, trying to push Starfleet to do these things again, to do the right thing, to protect life. And he's getting pushback in the trailer. You know, we uh, she, that that Admiral, who we, we don't know who she is yet. There's some theories, of course. Uh, but she says, this isn't your house anymore. And that's what we're going to see the shows about, is that he's not, that's not what's going to stop him. Right. He's not going to let his lack of a uniform, his lack of a commission or a rank stop him from doing the right thing. Yeah. And even this episode alone, you can see so many other touches of next generation where it harkens back to measure of a man, whether it's, you know, conundrum when their ship, when their brain, their memories are wiped out and they're tricked by an alien species to go fire on another one. And Picard at the end, he's like, I don't fire on defenseless people. Or even when it's Hugh from the Borg, and they have an opportunity to destroy the Borg, and Picard even says, you know, I, I'm not going to destroy a whole species. It, a lot mm-hmm. of it harkens back to this discussion on, you know, won't we be judged by how we treat that race? That one sentence of his is so true for reality, like everyday normal human life, but it plays out in so many more parts of Star Trek, it's, I can't even count. And, you know, again, this is part of our prepping for Picard series, right? So I want, I want to call out something that is from the writer. So this episode was written by Melinda Snodgrass. Um, it's actually her first television credit, which is really amazing. <laughs> like that, that's how you – that's how she started this type of thing off is really just impressive. But she actually said that, quote, everyone seems to view it as a data script, but it's really a Picard script. Data is the catalyst, but the stress is all on Picard. And I think that that is that in itself is telling that the the author, the writer of this episode, 
the person who made it exist, right? She saw it as a Picard story, as it being centered on his ability, his morals and ethics, his standing to to do the right thing. It was on his shoulders. Yeah, I mean, you were correct. And it's also got one of the most heartbreaking scenes in Trek when the when Riker gets to, told to represent the prosecutor, essentially. And remember, he's reviewing data schematics and he finds the off switch and he's got that big smile on his face and then that smile immediately vanishes. It's because mm-hmm. he just realized, he's like, oh, I found something that's good for the case. Oh, wait a second, data's my friend. And you can see even the pain on Riker's face and the struggle that Picard's having when he's having a discussion with Guinan and he's like, Riker almost convinced me. And that sets the tone for so much of what Picard is. And I fully expect us to see a lot of that. You know, if they're teasing new androids in the Picard show, I wouldn't be surprised if, it, you know, if they're mining, you know, what Dr. McCoy say at, uh, what was it, you know, after after Rathacon or something, he's like, uh, or after they stole the Enterprise, he's like, it's hard enough we're going to be court-martialed and we'll have to spend the rest of our life mining borite. It's like if they turn mm-hmm. they turn all these androids into miners and Picard all of a sudden he says, wait a second, I, uh, you know, they who knows, they might hearken back to an episode like this where Picard says, I fought precisely against something like this to happen. Yeah. No, I think you're totally right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what else there is to say about it. It's it's one of the most famous episodes of Star Trek. Uh, it's won a couple of different awards. Um, you know, it was actually nominated for Writers Guild of War, uh, Writers Guild of America Award for Best Episodic Drama. Um, but uh, you know, it most people know it at this point, and we've kind of hit the major areas of it about why it's a Picard episode. And so, I guess you know, my my question would be. If if this really is a tie, if this really ties into the Picard show, if those androids that we see are really what they appear to be, um, what what is something you might want to see, kind of harken back to this? Is there any way you'd want it to connect, or, um, or I don't know. Do you, do you have any any thoughts on that? I would love for it to connect, even if it's something as simple as you know, the comment I just made where maybe maybe it's part of the story that Picard finds that he didn't know they were building androids like this. And then he does, and he realizes that this is not this this is not what the Federation stands for. The Federation doesn't create species just just to just to use them. And even if it's as simple as who knows, who the hell knows? Maybe the woman he meets in that show is is Captain I keep wanting to call her Captain Bouvier for some reason. I know that's that that can't be right. But it turns out it's her 30 years later. And they yeah. I, I that would be I think that would be a little extreme for them to do a direct connection like that. But it's not out of the realm of possibility. But it that they're not showing they're not teasing androids right now for no reason, I don't think. They're teasing them on purpose. Hmm. That's interesting. Um so I guess something kind of if, if you really like this episode, if you find it really uh, enthralling and, and good and you want to see something somewhat similar in TNG lol the episode lol is or the episode daughter uh, about lol or okay the, the offspring we're gonna try this the offspring thank you let's try to use take three which by uh, by the <laughs> way I read a website today that said the offspring is a skippable a skippable episode of Star Trek I'm like stop it 
your website your ep- your website lost entire credibility with me. Oh, man. So yeah, so the, that's that's somebody who just skipped it and never saw it, I guess. Um yeah, I mean the offspring is about when data creates a daughter and uh there are a lot of similar tones in that episode about what it means to have rights as a sentient being. Um and Picard again has to uh, sort of like represent and support data. And so there's some parallels. Um, it's, it may not be quite as heavy, you know, it's not about slavery, but it is about reproductive rights and familial rights and that kind of thing, which is still pretty serious stuff. Well, that one phrase of his in the offspring where it's, you know, the state ordering a man to turn over his daughter, not on my watch. I'm like if that was, if that was a modern government ordering one of us to turn over our child, I mean, the, the country might completely fall apart if that were to start happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think I think you're definitely right. But um, are there any other parts about this epi- episode that you'd like to touch on? No, I think we really we really kind of nailed it. Even uh, although one of the again another one of the top episodes of Next Generation is Data's Day, where he's actually mm-hmm. it's I think what season five or six, where he's actually drafting a letter to Commander Maddox. It might be season four, actually. That doesn't matter. Later season, he's actually drafting a letter to Commander Maddox, who was the quote-unquote villain of Measure of a Man. So I yes. like I like it when the shows do little little throwbacks to something that you you know you might not catch it at first, but your brain definitely did. Well, it's a cool moment too because it, it it again shows that the, as far as Data was concerned, this wasn't about ego or i think his line is like ego or vanity i think is what he says in in the episode but it's not really like that for him he truly thinks that he is doing the right thing for the work of soong and ethically and morally the right thing for any possible future androids that would come of the experiment he doesn't dismiss maddox's intelligence or abilities and if anything did find it promising he just didn't think it was ready i agree it's just I mean, I think the episode pulls on those emotional strings, it pulls on those logic strings, and we get to see three of the main characters of Next Generation really built out in a single episode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I still, I will always admire the, when they first introduced Commander Data at the stand, and they're playing, you know, Legion of Valor, Medal of Honor with clusters, and this, and this, and this, and I'm like, why isn't he like an admiral by now? <laughs> but... Well, actually, I mean, it's interesting you bring that up, because again, it's, it's, it's basically racism, um, you know, because people didn't trust an Android captain, uh, that even comes up in the show when he does take command of a ship during a fleet operation that the enterprise is basically running the crew at first don't trust him. They don't want to listen to his orders. They, they do other things. They don't follow his orders and it's because they don't trust an Android. Uh, when he took command of the USS Sutherland, I, I, yep. During the Klingon civil war, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I think that's a big deal, this idea that because he doesn't have emotion like we do, he can't make the right decision. Whereas he's just probably the smartest person on the ship. He can think faster than anybody else on the ship. And he has a ton of experience that either either he actually did, experienced himself or he absorbed through materials that he was able to, quote, read, so to speak. You know, but people don't trust him because he's different, right? It's another allegory of racism. Yep. You and they, they kind of carry that message throughout the rest of Star Trek. 
It plays heavily in Deep Space Nine, even between the relations between the Federation and Bajor, or the Federation and the Cardassians, and then later on with the Klingons and everybody else again. It's it's a sensitive subject, and Star Trek is, I think, one of the few shows that has you know, truly approached it in a way that I think resonates with a lot of people. I agree. I definitely agree. Um, and I guess my last thought would just be that it's a good Guinan episode, even though she's barely in it, she has a very important part and it just makes me want more of her character. I, I would love to see her return in Picard. Maybe they'd have to age her down because her species lives so much longer than ours does. But um, Guinan's always been one of my favorite characters in TNG, and I just feel like we never got enough. Well, and even, I know, she records, what, The View? And she still looks great. She could still play the part of Guinan in a heartbeat. So hopefully mm-hmm. that relationship between Whoopi Goldberg and Patrick Stewart was, I mean, it was obvious. The two actors, com- com- or, uh, they complemented each other well and had chemistry. So I would love for them to bring Guinan back. And, you know, we know they're getting a season two. They're already working on on the pre-production for season two. So maybe that'll be a good opportunity to bring her back in some way. Um, I think it'd be a missed opportunity to leave her out. I completely agree with you. All right. Well, then, I guess this is a good time then to close things out. Um, we'll be covering multiple episodes moving forward. So we got, you know, we don't want these episodes to get too long, you know, <laughs> Um We'll lose interest. But uh, so next time, so we're going to take next week off. We'll be back on November 5th. So again, it's important to know we've moved to Tuesday releases. Um, It's different. But we're doing our Prepping for Picard uh, Season 3, which includes Yesterday's Enterprise, Captain's Holiday, and Sarek. And we'll be moving uh, Part 1 of The Best of Both Worlds to our Season 4 episode, which comes out the following week which also includes family and the drumhead. So, and the drumhead will probably reference this conversation a bit when we get to that one as well. I imagine, you know, best of both worlds that rings a, that rings a bell. I guess I have to go rewatch that. (laughs) No, it's good to be back. Uh, This is a good, this is a good time. I think for you, right. For us to close out, but, uh, so go watch measure of a man. If you haven't seen it for some reason, I, Go find it. Go buy it on iTunes or Amazon or go watch it on Netflix. Yes. Yes, I definitely agree. Um, or, you know, all, all of Star Trek, if you have CBS All Access to watch Discovery and Short Treks, all of the Star Trek stuff is also on CBS All Access. So you can you can catch it there as well. Um, but I think that's going to be it. So, Greg, if people want to talk to you about Trek or whatever else, how might they do that? Probably the easiest way is to find me on Twitter. Uh, go by the handle of V underscore Bittersteel. You'll know it because uh, my little Twitter icon is uh, is an animation of myself in a Starfleet uniform. So, with long hair. I'm one of the only Star- one, one of the only unique Starfleet, like male Starfleet officers with extremely long hair. That's not a Klingon or a... Uh, <laughs> I can't think of the president's race from, next, from Undiscovered Country. But I'll find it, and I'll talk about it next week. <laughs> or in two weeks. <laughs> fantastic i am of course the star trek dude my picture is very similar to greg's i'm in a different uniform but it's the same artist who did both of those which is cool um and of course you can find us at red shirts pod on twitter or at heroes podcasts on facebook or instagram or heroespodcasts.com. please subscribe to the show we are on spotify apple podcasts 
Spreaker, Google Play, you name it. Uh, please leave us a review if your platform lets you do that. It's how people can find us. It's really the best way. And feel free to join our brand new Facebook group, Red Shirts and Runabouts. It's facebook.com slash groups slash Red Shirts and Runabouts. We'll tweet the link as well so you can join us there and talk Trek with us. Thank you for joining us. We'll catch you in two Tuesdays. See you then. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.